I, I'm really, everyone, I'm excited um, for the discussion and conversation we get to have this morning. Um, our guest is someone who is, who is not new to many of you. This is Mr. Clifton Ross. Uh, Mr. Ross is um, the father of Miles and Maria Ross. He's also a member of our school board, the Board of Education, um, and he's just a, a wonderful, wonderful friend of our community. Last year, many of you remember Mr. Ross came and did a chapel message um, focused on, on building understanding um, when, when we're relating to people that have different backgrounds than ours. And I found that to be super helpful. Um, and then obviously, as all of you know, um, this has been a, a really difficult summer for our city and for our country. And the events surrounding um, the death of George Floyd, um, the, the protests and, and the riots that are happening across our country, and then, and then, and then other events that happened even more recently um, have just put the, the, the topics of racial justice, racial reconciliation, racial tension in front of all of us in ways that I, I've never experienced in my lifetime, okay? May not be true for Mr. Ross, but for, certainly for me, and I would say my assumption is it, it, it certainly is true for all of you, okay? And this is important to us. I know this is a community day where we're, we're gonna be doing a lot of fun, crazy stuff, which is, which is really important as well. But we felt like on a community day, one of the things we want to we want to talk about is how do we, as a a group of of Christ followers, how do we deal with this issue? How do we think about these things? How do we love well? How do we res- how do we respond in a way that would honor Christ and and love our neighbor as He wants us to do? So that's the point of this. We asked. Um, at least some of you, I know that, that we didn't have time to get questions in front of all of the Bible classes, but at least half of you, freshmen through seniors, were able to fill out a survey where you gave us a ton of really good questions about, about race and what's going on that we're going to talk about today. And we won't get time to go through all of them. And I'll just tell you, I was super encouraged by, by the responses, uh, the questions and uh, we hope to cover some of them. This won't be the last time that we talk about these issues. It can't be. It's really important. Uh, but we wanted to start it today. So I want to welcome you, Clifton, here. Thank you for coming. I want to pray, and then we'll get going. So let's do that. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this day. Um, and Lord, we just know that right now in our country and in our city, there is there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of of confusion and anger and frustration. And God, there's certainly a lot of division. And Lord, we know it grieves you. It grieves you to see people arguing and hurting each other. And Lord, we know as your people, you've called us to be your hands and feet in this world. Lord, to be a part of the process where you're making all things broken and 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 all things that are... are, are um, not the way they should be. You're bringing that back to how it should be, Lord, and you want us to be a part of that. Lord, so help us in that. I pray, God, that for all of us here, we would listen well, 
And God, help us in our spirit, in our hearts, and in our minds to be willing to consider. Sometimes, Lord, we're quickly to come to conclusions about other people. And Lord, we want to love well. We want to we want to treat others the way you desire us to treat others. And uh, so, Lord, we just ask for your help in that. Uh, thank you for Mr. Ross, his family. Thank you for his willingness to be a part of this. Bless him and bless our community in the conversation we have now. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Mr. Ross, I've, I've already kind of talked about, um, you know, the, the, the current situation in our country. I don't think any of us are, are unaware of it. Um, but it does feel like everywhere you look, people are divided. Um, you know, politically, it's a, it's a, it's a divisive time. Um, and then again, with everything happening this summer, there seems to be a lot of, of, of tension around race. Um, I think even in the church, um, there's a lot of questions on how should we feel about this? What should we do about this? Uh, Christians don't agree on all these things. And, and the one thing that I, I personally feel is lacking at times is, is empathy. So I'd love to hear your perspective on, on is empathy important? I'm, I'm sure you'd say, of course it is, but, but why is it so important? And how do we um, build empathy for people that are different than us in, in however way they are? So does that question make sense? And if you want to give yourself a little more introduction to your story, I think it's feel free, but that's kind of where I wanted to start uh, our time together. So, Got it. Appreciate it. Uh, well, I mean, first of all, um, I mean, is it, is it just me or, I mean, things are really, really, really crazy right now. Is that just me or is it, can you see that too? Not a lot of head nods. Uh, so, I mean, if, if, if you like went into a coma in 2005, and you woke up right now, and you saw, like, first of all, masks everywhere. You're like, is that Halloween? Did we, like, it's a national holiday. Everybody celebrates it now. Uh, you've got cities on fire. You've got families feuding. You've got friends feuding. You'd probably think, what the heck happened while I was in a coma? You might say, please put me back in the coma because this is super, super crazy. I'll wake up five more years from now. But I think it's, first, let's start off with mindset. Uh, because you see, uh, as the next generation, you see everything going on out there right now. And for Southwest Christian, you don't have to accept the world that you have been given. You don't have to accept the world that you've been given. The one thing that you can, uh, conclusion you can derive from what you see right now is what we're doing, what we've done, it's not working. It's not working. However these people feel and however these people feel, if this is what it's led to, it's not working. And so you all get to say, that's not working. And so I don't want to inherit that. And you don't have to inherit that. You get to say, what can I do so that there's a different world that I'm a part of? You know, the wrong path always leads to the wrong destination. The wrong path leads to the wrong destination. But the right path leads to the right destination. And so I think the mindset in this and what the goal is is to help us find that right path. But, the, but what I want to try to impress upon you as the new generation is you don't have to accept the world that you've been given. You get to change that through changing the way that you think and changing the way that you feel and changing the way that you interact. And we all have that opportunity. 
And the hope is that we give that opportunity to you all, empowering you so that you're part of that change for the future. So empathy, right? Uh, one of the biggest challenges you see is just the conflict. And right now, a lot of it is racial conflict, right? That's what you see, that's what you hear. Sometimes that's what we're experiencing in our own hearts, sometimes in our own families. And I think the, one of the best ways to start when there is any disagreement, and there's a lot of disagreement right now, and some of it is legitimate disagreement. There are just ways that people think that are even uh, in harmony, that are in, is in conflict with the, other, with the ways that other people think, right? And so what's the first path, in my opinion, to trying to get a baseline where we can try to create some harmony when there's conflict? And I think it initially starts off with empathy. It is, I don't agree with you, and I don't have to agree with you, and maybe I won't. But I can try to appreciate where you're coming from. I can try to appreciate how you feel. And I'll give you one example. This is going to be kind of down the list a little bit. But, you know, one of the biggest, uh, I don't know, touch points right now is, you know, black lives matter, all lives matter, blue lives matter. You, have you heard those phrases before or did I just invent them to you right now? Right? You've heard them. Okay, good. It's weird when you can't see faces. Yeah, it's like just kind of just. <laughs> well, that's good. You see their face. Oh, there's a face. No, no, please, sir. Cover that up, please. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, so you've heard these phrases, right? And there's a lot of friction about that. Where here's an example of, of empathy, right? Because, um, you know, maybe I do have legitimate feelings about why it should be all lives and why it should be police lives or blue lives. Uh, but. If we can start off with, you know, how are you feeling? Why do you feel that way? Why do you feel that way? And as an example, with uh, Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, I use this on Facebook. Anybody ever heard of Facebook? You're too young and cool. You don't use Facebook. That's for your mommy and daddy, I know. Uh, but I had a friend of mine who lost his dad. And he came to me and he said, my dad died. My dad died. And I looked at him and I said, all dads die. Now, did I say that? You can talk through a mask, right? Do the, the, the mask allow for sound? Okay, vibration, great. So, I mean, did I say that? No, right? I mean, I mean, if I did, you would look at me and say, "What is? Where is? Where is your what? Empathy, right? Uh, now, is it true that all dads die?" Is it true all dads die? Yeah. Uh, they just don't like rhetorical questions. <laughs> see, see. All right. Yeah, it's true that all dads die, which is sad. I'm a dad. I have to face up to the fact that I, I dads die, I die, I'm going to die, all dads die. But that's just not the right response, is it, to my dad died. So when Jason said my dad died, my response was, man, I am so sorry about that. And then what happened? A conversation happened about his dad and what happened, and, and there's empathy. So that's just an example, you know, using kind of, you know, what is kind of this firestorm around these phrases. Uh, and so I'm not even asking what position you have. I'm not telling you what position to take. But what I do encourage is just in human discourse is if we lead with empathy, there's the better chance that we are going to have harmony even if we still ultimately disagree, because at the very least, I know you care. 
And what you have been hearing from the black community for a long time is that we feel like there's a disproportionate number of blacks that are killed, uh, particularly by law enforcement, that are unarmed, right? And I know we can probably grab statistics and, and all that, and I've seen that on Facebook. Well, statistics, sure. Well, sure. But once again, my dad died. Well, you know, in New York, 52,000 dads died today. That's a statistic. No, that's a big statistic. That's probably not a true statistic. But you see, so even statistics. So once again, kind of nothing we can say really matters, no matter how true it is, unless it starts with, I care about you. I'm sorry. What is, tell me about that. How does that feel? So life lesson, remember we said let's play, have a different, what we're doing right now isn't working. Okay? So that means we're going to have to change some things. I think one change that we can just kind of put in front of us is when I'm dealing with these conflicts, make it a goal to say, okay, how can I first respond with empathy? Not my position, not my feeling, not the statistic, not, the statistic, not what I've heard from the media, not what I've heard from her, not what I've heard from a pastor, a youth pastor. Where can, what would empathy say first? Okay? Anybody mostly agree with that for the most part? Can we get behind that? Okay. Yeah. You know, one thing I want to add to that. Um, that I've, that I've been learning um, the last 12 months um, that I, I think has helped me in terms of empathy. Because I've heard, I've heard a lot of people say, um, you know, why does it always have to be about race? Right? Like, why, why does there have to be this focus on race? I don't think about race much. Why, why do those people or that group always want to talk about race? And one of the things that struck me as as a white person, and of course I'm an older person than most of you by a ways, but I know in my lifetime, um, I haven't spent much time thinking about my race. And I, I can kind of choose when I think about it. I can kind of choose when I want to talk about it. I can kind of choose when I want to maybe have a discussion about it. And if I don't want to, I can just kind of walk away and ignore it, right? Like I can just, I can go and basically for the next literally months, leave that whole topic and 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 it can just kind of disappear a lot of people um in our country even some of our students in the school they don't they don't really have that luxury because of some of the things that are tied to it so that kind of race is is kind of always a part of their thought process not even because they want it to be and i don't know if that makes sense to you guys as students but i think part of empathy for me is even understanding that for some people, this topic and this concern um, is a lot more part of their daily life than it is mine. And if I can understand that, boy, it puts me in a much better position to understand a little bit more how they might be feeling, why it's so important to them, and why, why I might be a little naive. Why my thoughts about the issues, um, or lack of thoughts about the issues, May, may come across to them as, as me not caring so much, okay? It's not because I don't want to care, but I, I can kind of just not think about it if I want to. So, so that would be something that I would encourage all of you guys to think about in terms of empathy is just, you know, if this, isn't some, if this is something that you can kind of choose to just not think about, choose to walk away from, um, not everybody gets to do that. 
Um, and so we need to be aware of that too. So um, just because we have lots of questions in a little time, I'll move on here. Um, one of the things that came out in the student questions uh, in a number of ways was kind of like how, how problematic is racism, racism really, right? There's this discussion on, on how bad is it? Is it really that bad? And I guess I would like you, um, Mr. Ross, just to maybe answer that question from your own personal experience, right? Especially uh, being a, a black man who spends most of your time uh, living and working uh, in mostly white communities, as I know that's true for you and, and, and others. So can you, how would you respond if someone said, hey, really, how bad is racial prejudice? How bad is racism in our society today? Is it, is it really that bad? What would you say? Yeah, okay, good question. Uh, so here's how I would answer it a little bit. Um, <laughs> how many of you all have been on a mission trip? Right. And is that, has it been, where, where, where have you gone? Haiti? Other places? Guatemala? Okay. Uh, so just a little social experiment a little bit. So when you're here in Chanhassen, Jaska, Minnesota, and you wake up today, you don't, you don't probably consciously think I'm white today. Did anybody wake up this morning and go, hey, I'm white. I'm white today. That's kind of creepy. So, but anybody do that today? No? I mean, you, you, don't, you didn't know. You, don't need, you kind of don't need to know. But when you're in Haiti, when you're in Guatemala, did you feel particularly white that day? Right? Did, were you more self-aware? Like, I'm white. I'm like, wow, I'm super white. Um, because when you are in an environment of everyone and most that look like you, think like you, talk like you, you, you you're, just, you're just you. But when you're in another environment where the majority is a whole different complexion and culture, one of the first things that happen is that you become really self-conscious. And so I give you that experience because many of you, thankfully, by this time, you've gone on mission trips. And I think this is exactly why you integrate those experiences to get that perspective of what it's like living outside of your normal mindset. So when you look at the black community, black people in America, that's kind of what it's like except there's not, it's not just seven to 10 days, I'm gonna get on a plane and go back. That's just, I live in Haiti, I live in Guatemala. And so I am constantly aware all the time. I don't know if there's one day that I'm not consciously aware that I'm black. That's not your fault, I'm not blaming you for that, right? But it's just the way that it wasn't the Guatemalan's fault that you're fully self-aware at this particular point that you're white and more self-conscious about that. And so it, it, when you talk about empathy, when you have some perspective of how someone else might be thinking and why they could be and have sensitivities that maybe you don't relate to. And so when they do say, I'm sensitive to this, we can say, you know what, I'm just, I, I don't feel that, I don't, I don't experience that myself, but I'm gonna listen to you and really try to understand that. Uh, you know, there's different times I've tried to kind of express what it is and feels like being black in America. And I've heard some go, oh, there goes the black card again, or all victim mentality. And it's like, whoa, whoa, let's see, once again, you're not gonna do that anymore. You won't do that at all because you're gonna start with the empathy. You know, I've never been on a snowmobile. I'm just gonna be honest with you. I've never been on a snowmobile. Can I be totally honest with you? How many of you don't want me to be honest with you? Cause I don't wanna offend you. Okay, everybody wants me to be honest. I've never been on a snowmobile, not once. Because if I'm on a snowmobile, I'm probably not in Minneapolis, right? 
I'm probably, I live in Prior Lake. No, actually, I just moved to Eden Prairie. But you don't see a lot of people whipping around snowmobiles in Eden Prairie. Maybe, maybe you do, I don't know. Uh, you tend to do that up north. You tend to do that at the cabin. The first thought that I have to this very day at 45 years old, when I think about going to a cabin, is mm, they may not like me up there. I swear to you. I swear to you. And I hate that. I hate that. When the kids were little, I wanted to take them and to have these broad experiences. But I always have this filter that I've got these little brown kids, and are they going to be scowled at? Are they going to not be accepted? Are they going to be mistreated? Or, and, and, and it's not overt, usually. It's just kind of subtle. You kind of feel it. You feel it. Elisa and I, when we were married, we went to Siren, Siren Wisconsin for our, anniversary, for our, uh, our first anniversary. Uh, we call it Siren, Wisconsin. Who's heard of Siren, Wisconsin? Okay, good. Uh, and so it's she and I, and it's like backwoods, Wisconsin, and it's the only place we could afford because uh, it was free, and I could afford most free things. And so we go there, and we're at the little hotel, and so we go into this saloon. It was, it was probably like a bar and grill, but it was like a saloon. And we walked in, and I swear, maybe most of this was in my imagination, but you see those movies where the music is playing, everybody's dancing, and somebody walks in, it's like, and it just stops. I swear that's what it was like. And then we could hear our footsteps like, to the back to order food, and so we looked at each other like, um, where did you take out? <laughs> so we went back to our uh, hotel, and that's where we spent our anniversary, because we could really tell. Now, maybe it was 45% imagination, but it was 55% for sure. It's like, yeah, wow, maybe you shouldn't be here, right? But many people would have left their room, walked into the saloon, and has sat down and enjoyed a day. But boy, I mean, we almost had a dual anxiety attack. Um, so yes, is there racism in America today? Uh, you know, I, I think there is a spectrum. I think there are those who just don't like black people. Because I've had some that have told me that to my face, so I believe them. Now, I don't believe that's most of us. I don't, believe that's, I don't believe that's you. But that does exist. And, you know, the problem with terrorism is that you don't need everybody with the bomb. Right? That's the problem with terrorism. It's just that I know somebody's got a bomb. And so that you become terrorized by everybody. And so the problem, unfortunately, with racism is that because there are those, not you, I'm by faith going to speak and believe it's not you. But because there are those that I hate you. You see it online. You see the comments. If I could kill you, I would. They've said it. I've heard people say that. I've heard people that say, I'm not going to meet with you because I don't let people like you in my house. No, you wouldn't say that, but they did. And so you wonder, well, who else feels this way? And so it just kind of makes you anxious about everybody. So whether there's, if you have one racist out of ten... Someone feels like there's 10 racists. Because which one is it? That was the problem with the KKK with the hood, right? It was, it was really designed to be emotional, mental terrorism. Because we're in your community. I could be the baker. I could be the banker. I could be your school teacher. You don't know. So what does it do? You feel, you feel oppressed by everybody. 
So just to give you an insight, I'm not trying to, right, this isn't changing all the worlds, all the answers, but the more we can get some perspective and understand what it's like living a different experience, I think the greater potential that we have for, for empathy. Clifton, I know that, that we've spoken and you've spoken to the staff about um, some of your experiences with, um, with law enforcement, who I know you've said many times that you respect, you recognize uh, the important role that they play in our society. Um, but I, I know you could spend a lot of time on this. We don't have a ton of time. But there are a lot of people, um, maybe even in our community, that, that would say, I just do, is this really true that, that black people have this negative experience with law enforcement? My, my dad's a cop, my uncle's a cop, he, he, he loves people, he hates the fact that, that, that police are seen this way. I, I just don't, I don't know what to do with that kind of thing. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I will. I mean, first of all, I, I value law enforcement. I respect the law enforcement community. I respect police officers and the work that they have to do, the men and women, and they put their lives in danger. And, and when I get pulled over and I get a ticket, I'll, I still thank them for what they do. Because, you know, I go to work every day and I don't really have this present thought that I could be killed today and be shot today trying to, to serve my community. But they do. Uh, and so I inherently respect that profession. Now, with that said, I've had a lot of negative experiences. And so there has been intentional forgiveness that I've had to, to, to direct towards the law enforcement community. Especially when I was in my younger years, um, in my 20s and 30s, I lived in Plymouth and I got pulled over almost every time a police officer got behind me. In fact, I remember one time a, a cop got behind me and I just pulled over because I, he didn't even turn on his lights, I just pulled over. And so then he came and got behind me, and he goes, well, why'd you pull over? I said, well, because I just know how this goes, so I thought I'd just save us both some time. <laughs> um, and he goes, well, now that you're here, let me just run your license. Let me da 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 uh, But yeah, I mean, I, I remember pulling out of my driveway, uh, my uh, townhouse at the time in Plymouth, and I saw some cops come around the corner. I thought, ooh, somebody's in trouble. And the next thing I know, the gun is in my face. Get out of the car! Get out of the effing car! Get out of the effing car! And I'm like, whoa, 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 what, 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 what? Get out of the cars! I'm like, get, will you get your gun out of my face. I said, get that life-taking instrument out of my face. Shut up, shut up, and put me in handcuffs. And marched me back to my house and in handcuffs. Gun in my face. And I said, I said, you could accidentally shoot me. Black people, statistically speaking, have the highest percentage chance of being accidentally shot by you. And he goes, don't go, go, there you go with the brace card. I said, no, that's a fact card. Go Google it, man. Dude, you could have shot me. I mean, you can go on and on and on, right? And so, unfortunately, where someone else might have been greeted with, uh, you know what, there's been a call in the area. We just want to just see, you know, ask you some questions. I, did, I didn't get the benefit of, we just want to ask questions. Of course, I didn't do anything wrong. There was a domestic call. And it could have been me, but I could have been killed. And of course, I'm like perplexed and I'm, I'm mad. I feel violated, I mean, right? Wake up to a gun in your face and you don't even know why. And then when you try to defend yourself, they swear it cuss you out for doing that and say you're being a victim. <laughs> you just, okay, what do I do? Just, okay, let me just be quiet. And I mean, right, so yeah, I mean, I can go on and on. But so yeah, I would say, in my life, 
there has been uh, negative interactions unjustly with law enforcement. Um, I, I posted on Facebook the other day, I've got a good friend of mine, and he's, he was posting and he was talking about um, the Jacob case and uh, the, you know, the guy that got shot seven times in the back. He said, if you're just respectful, that won't happen to you. If you just obey the officers and are respectful. He's a good friend of mine. And I responded. I normally don't do this because I just stay out of it. But I just couldn't help it. And, of course, all of his friends, that we have the same friends, and they were all like, 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 yeah. One guy said, yeah, all that victim mentality stuff. And I said, Mike, on Facebook, I said, Mike, I started off with, hey, Mike, I love you, man. I love you. I said, but, and I don't take issue with your observation, but your conclusion is contradicted in my own life because I got met with the barrel of a gun, and I was respectful. I got hauled back to my house, and I was respectful. I had my car towed away when I was having Maria be born, and I was respectful. I said, I'm going to see my daughter. She's being born right now. Yeah, well, I'm taking your car. And I was respectful. And I got sent to jail. I went to jail once. How many people have been to jail before? Don't raise your hand. The school is watching. Um, I got pulled over, and I had an unpaid traffic ticket. I was maybe 29, 22. They didn't know it. Unpaid traffic ticket. You know what they did? Took me to jail. I went to jail that day. I'm like, I'm going to jail? You're going to jail. It's, I mean, I mean, I got a credit card. What can I, I didn't know. Well, talk to the judge. Really? You do this with everybody? When, in Plymouth, when they were really giving me a hard time, I finally said, you know what? And I went to the captain who came because they were towing my wife's, this is, all these are different stories, by the way. They went to tow my wife's car away because it didn't have the tabs on it. And I had the tabs, I just forgot to put them on there. And so she called me, I had Miles and Maria, they're little and they're crying. And so I went to see the car and we're in the middle of the street. And I said, officer, I just forgot to put the tab on the car. Can I please put the tab on the car? I've got it right here. It, it's, you know, the tabs that you put on your license plate. I said, it, it, the, the postage predated the expiration, so I paid my taxes on time. So can I just please put it on the car? And he punches me in my chest, pushes me in my chest back. And Miles and Maria just start crying. I said, officer, you're confusing my kids because I tell them that you're the good guy. I'm trying to help out. I'm trying to change society and not perpetuate suspicion. And I said, I tell them that you're the good guy. So you can see how confused they are because they know dad's a good guy. So why is the good guy being harsh to the good guy? So now one of us is the bad guy. And officer, it's not me. I'm the daddy. So come, don't do this. Help me. You're undermining my efforts. I don't care. Miles Maria crying. And now they're watching this. So what is this teaching them? In fact, to this very day, every time a cop would come by, when they, since they were little, they would do like this and slouch down in the car. Conditioning from what they've seen, and I've been respectful. So I go to the captain, and I said, Captain, I said, I think there's a misunderstanding of who I am because you're just maybe judging me about how I look, but, man, I'm, I'm just like you. I probably vote like you. And I said, how many people like me are in the police force? And he comes to my face. I've done this before. Dan's used to this. And he does like this. Zero. I think he was trying to send me a message. Do you think he was trying to send me a message? I think he was trying to send me a message. So... Uh, so with those experiences, those are negative. And, and that was unjust. And by the way, so I, I posted that with Mike. I said, I was in, I was still respectful. So his conclusion was rooted in a different mindset from a different set of experiences. He was drawing from his experiences. But when I shared mine, and by the way, when I finished that post, I said, hey, Mike, it's just a different perspective. I still love you, man. 
I still love you, dude. And Mike's a pretty powerful, you know, stubborn guy. And I didn't think he'd say anything. And this is public. And he responded, he goes, Clifton, he goes, in one single post, you changed my view entirely. Thank you for gracefully communicating your experiences. I never could have imagined that would have happened to somebody like you. I thought that just kind of happened to the thug guys. I'm going to tell you something. It's not. It's not. It doesn't. If my experience says anything about it. I don't know how many of you have had conversations with, with um, whether it be family members that are, are black or friends or coworkers, um, parents of friends. I, I've had a number over the last couple years, and I'm, I'm always shocked at how many have a story s somewhat like those that Mr. Ross just shared. And, and it has caused me to, to hesitate to say, I really know what it's like in terms of this being black with law enforcement and all of that. And again, you heard Mr. Ross say he respects them, as do I, in terms of the job. It's, it's, it's a hard, hard job to be a police officer. It's a noble, noble profession. But I don't have that experience whatsoever. I've never had to deal with that, ever. And the fact that Mr. Ross told you five stories and could probably tell you, I don't know, ten more, that tells me there's something going on there that, again, that doesn't mean all police officers are bad. We know that. We're smart enough to know that. It's not what's being said here. But it's something that we need to be just, again, building empathy, understanding. Uh, moving on. Um, a lot of students, not surprising, had questions about the Black Lives Matter, uh, Matter movement, uh, BLM. And um, so I'm going to ask you just a series of questions, and you'll probably have to be somewhat brief, although I think we'll be able to go maybe longer than 950. Um, but first of all, just can you give us a sense of why do you think this movement has, has been so powerful? What has caused this movement to be so powerful? I'm going to ask you all three questions because you might just want to answer them. Um, the next one is, is, is why is, is the phrase all lives matter hurtful to many black people? You already kind of talked about that a little bit, but maybe address that uh, again. And then finally, um, uh, what should Christians believe about the, the actual slogan and the saying black lives matter? And of course, there's also now an organization um, that is, is um, you know, has, has a very political um, agenda, as all organizations do. Um, and how would you differentiate the organization from the phrase in your own personal perspective? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Okay. Boy, that's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, that's like the, the premier stage of all these tensions right now. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know if I'm smart enough to have the answer, but I certainly have thoughts that I think are worth sharing. Uh, you know, remember I said the wrong path leads to the wrong destination? And, and, and so the phrase Black Lives Matter. So it, it didn't start off as an organization. It started off as this, actually a statement. It was a hashtag. It was a response to Trayvon Martin's uh, killing uh, by George Zimmer. And of course there was, um, he, had got, he didn't get, he got charged, but ultimately um, he did not get, uh, you know, legal, it wasn't consequential legally. And for, for black Americans, you know, some of these things have just really been disheartening because it seems as though it's, it's just the evidence, the raw evidence reinforced that if it, if it happens to them, it's a big deal. If it happens to you, it doesn't really matter. 
you know, there's a kidnapping, and it's a beautiful, you know, blonde girl. It's like, oh, my God. And there's a kidnapping, you know, tight-haired, dark girl. It's like, oh, you know, you know, was she a prostitute, or, you know, did she bring it on herself, or, you know, did she come from a broken home? It was just this feeling like there's kind of this different scale of value. Maria, when she was little, uh, she was told that she couldn't play with her friends uh, because um, she was brown. And she was like five. And then uh, she wore a Hannah Montana shirt when she was maybe like six or something. And they said, you can't wear that. You don't look like her. These are, her, these are neighbors. Um, and she wore her hair natural one time in school and uh, when she was in seventh grade. And they laughed at her and said, you look like a clown. And I remember when she was like four, she said, she came crying. She goes, daddy, daddy. She goes, I want down here. I want down here. Why do I have to have up here? I want down here. Miles broke my heart when he was, I, I've got it in my phone, he's like six. And he goes, daddy, how come all black people are criminals? I said, whoa, son, no, oh my God, who told you that? All you watch is the Disney Channel. How do you, who told you this? And he goes, everybody knows it. And I said, well, son, then, well, A, that's not true. But, you know, B, I said, I think there's just this theme out there. And so you see, they're little children, and somehow they're little children yet. They're not you, they're just four, five, six, and they've just been programmed that they're less valuable, they're less desirable. Go home. You don't look like Hannah Montana. Your hair should be down, not up. Blacks are, cr are, are criminals. And there's no, they're not, we don't, at least I said, where are they getting this stuff from? It's in the air that they breathe. They, breath, they breathe this air, you breathe this air, right? It's just the air of the climate of the culture. And so inherently, we grow up, and then so we feel as though now that now this, this black boy who was five and six, now he's 23, 24, and now they're being killed, and now there's immunity. And, and so there's this cry of, we're just, why, do, why don't we matter? And then here comes black lives matter. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. So it was out of a feeling that we just need to say, it, we matter. Maria's hair can be up, and it's, she's not a clown. And she can wear a Hannah Montana shirt. It's okay. But this is what we have to say. And so that's what it comes out of. Remember, wrong path leads to wrong destinations. And so when that proclamation of all, you know, black lives matter, here's what would have been great. Here's what would have been great, especially in the church, if the response was, of course they do. Of course they do. I believe if that was the, 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 the national response to that, there would not, it would not be an organization today. I believe that. Because it would have been, oh, thank you. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Okay. Right? Right? Oh, yes. Yeah, they do. Okay, then let's talk. What can we do? You see, remember empathy? Empathy. Empathy opens the door. But instead of that, what happened? Black Lives Matter. Then what was said? You've heard it. That's the feeling. That's the feeling. Black Lives Matter. Blue Lives Matter. Not, I'm not... Not, not, not true. Not, not true. But, really? 
My dad died. All dads die. That's the natural response to that. You see, wrong paths lead to wrong destinations. If the response had been empathy, what if the response had been empathy just in the church? Because as we start to kind of wrap this up, the wonderful thing about this is that we get to say stuff here that we can't say anywhere else. I mean, anywhere else, in the public arena. We get to say truth. They've gagged the truth. Truth is still truth, whether you say it, whether you're allowed to say it, whether it's legal to say. The great thing about Southwest is that we can say truth here. And the truth is, here's what, here's what, what God said. And it was through Paul talking to the Jews and the Gentiles, the Greeks at the time, because they was kind of some of the same kind of tensions. Remember? The Jews were like, we're God's chosen people, and, but we're Christians now, and, but we're still God's chosen people. And the Greeks are like, well, dude, I thought we were kind of like all like the same now. And they're like, yeah, we're kind of the same, but not kind of really because we're Jews. We're special. And Paul was like, not in the church. Because Jesus says, there is no Jew or Greek. There is no black, white. There's no rich, poor. There is the body, period. And that's... If we get that, if the church gets that, then we can lead the way. But I'm Jew, doesn't that, shouldn't that mean something? And, and, and Paul was like, kind of, yeah, kind of, but not the way you think. It kind of means something, but not for you. But for the body, yeah. Yeah, so use that for the body. Because you can talk to people the Jew, the Greek can't talk to. I'm Greek, you know, I'm a Roman. That, does that not count anymore? Not the way you think. Not the way you think. Because we're, we're the body. But yeah, because you're a Roman, you've got citizenship in places that the Jew doesn't have, so you get to go there. But not for you, for Jesus. I'm white. Does that matter anymore? Not the way you think it does. But yeah, but for Jesus. Because there's people you can talk to that don't let me to their picnic. I'm black. I'm black and I'm proud. Does that mean something? Sure, but not, for, not the way you think it does. Because I can talk to people you can't talk to. To do what? To bring them to the body. So when we take all this stuff and take it off and give it to Jesus, I'm rich. How many of you guys know I'm rich? It's awesome, man. I'm rich. I'm super rich, yeah. I'm not super rich. I'm kind of rich. But is that, is, that, is, that, is that cool? Is that special? Yeah, but not for how I think it is. For me to roll around in a Lamborghini and impress everybody? No. It's for what? For the body. Use that to fund mission trips and to give Jeeps to those that are in the outback, in the woods. You see, because when it's Jesus, it's not mine anymore. And so I don't have any special privilege tied to me being whatever I am because it's Jesus. So if you're white, Jesus. If you're black, Jesus. If you're rich, Jesus. If you're poor, Jesus. If you're sick, Jesus. If you're healthy, Jesus. And then when it's all Jesus, then all this crap goes away for us because we're the church. And then we get to be the light. And I think that's the essence of what we can do for the change that you want to see in the world going forward. Clifton, that stuff you just said is the most important. I want to go back um, just a moment 
because I think you articulated the, that, that all Christians should passionately um, get behind the phrase Black Lives Matter, all right? It's biblical. It's truthful. It's important. Just for a moment, talk about your views on the organization, because I think that's a, a, a challenge for the church right now, especially for, I'm going to just say it, for white people. Because um, there's this organization over here, and this is what they're about, and that's BLM. And, and maybe then I won't say the phrase, I'm not going to wear the shirt because it represents this. And it, it's a challenge. Well, just real quickly on that. Okay, real quickly. Let's talk about BLM. So first, like in all this stuff, stuff, right, start with the right heart. Because if we had the right heart, it wouldn't be an organization for us to talk about today. Okay, so let's not now deal with the organization and still not have the right heart. Let's still have the right heart. Because what I'm afraid of is that when we talk about the organization, and, and it, we, those that without the right heart will just make it more reason for division. And that's what I don't want. So yes, when, when, here's how I feel, Clifton. So does, do black lives matter? Yes, they do. And if we had said that in the beginning, everything would be fine. Um, now, the problem though, wrong paths lead to wrong destinations. Now it's been emboldened, reinforced, and it's become an organization, actually the Black Lives Matter World Network. Now, from an organizational standpoint, the values are misaligned with, I should say some of them are misaligned with, with scripture and what I believe as a Christian person. And so I can't wear the brand So what I articulate to people is black lives matter, period. They, you know, nobody gets to own a truth. Truth is truth. It stands on its own. Black lives matter. Now, but now I have to say, however, the organization, there's values and the beliefs that I'm not aligned with. And I'm fine saying that. And, and I'm fine with anybody saying that that believes that. And it, it works okay when you've got the right heart. But there are those that didn't have the right heart when the response was the first response was all lives matter, blue lives matter, truth, not the right heart. And so then I'm, though, there are going to be those that say, you know, we, 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 we vehemently uh, uh, disavow that, and then they throw it all away. And then it's confusing to good black people that say, wait, you can't say that? You see, it's just, it's caused more legit confusion. Wrong paths lead to wrong destinations. And so it's given us this new thing that we've got to now decipher and, and, and you know, dice. So, yeah, truth, phrase, fact. Organization, misaligned, and some values, biblically speaking. So I'm going to go and, and, and represent the truth of the phrase, the truth of the words. But the organization, I can't, I can't wear the label because... It's not. Now, be careful when, and that's why you got to be careful when you talk about it, because there's, I, I would argue that most blacks don't even know the values. They've never gone and read them. I did. And so, you see, many of them don't even know. So they are legitimately confused when they go, why can't you agree to that? Because they don't even know necessarily, some of us don't know the, the, the tenets and the values. So that's why you've got to just when you start with empathy, there's a lot more you can express. The problem is that we don't start with empathy often enough, and it creates more division. So I think you can be, in, in fact, start with empathy. So when you see someone with a Black Lives Matter mask or shirt or jeans or the sign in their yard, you know, don't go, ah, 
you know, it's just, you know, I, I get what you're coming, get where you're coming from. I understand. And I just know why you say that too. Okay, let's give you that. I know why you say that. Uh, but with that said, I can't wear the brand, but here's why. But keep empathy. I was empathetic with Mike saying wrong things about me, about my life, about my experience. What was my empathy? It was very intentional, very intentional. It was surgery, that comment on Facebook. It wasn't, just, and by the way, don't do that. Okay. We've learned, don't do that. Um, empathy, I started with, Mike, I love you. And I finished with what? You're listening, right? What did I finish with? You see, I put it in the front and I put it in the back. So start with empathy in the front. Express your genuine view, which I think is now it's better to easier to do that when you started with empathy. Mm -hmm. And then put empathy in the back. Right. And um, there's one more question I want to get to, even though I know we're past time. I think it's super important. Um, but just one more thing about the BLM. I think for those of you, it would be a good idea, I think for many of you, uh, to go on to their website, uh, the Black Lives Matter website, and actually take a look at, at, at their About Us page um, to better understand the, the places where there's statements on there that I think as Christians we'd say, yeah, of course we would support that. And then you'll find other statements about the makeup of the family, uh, gender, other things that you would say, yeah, that, that just does not align with the Christian worldview. That, that's not going to advance the truth. And, and, and that's um, those positions, we would say as believers, um, are going to be detrimental to society. Not, not, not to a certain race, but just to society, because that's not the way God designed it. But, but, okay, we do know that God designed it, that all lives matter, black lives matter. And, and so we need to, as Christians, navigate this carefully, as was said, because we need to be, as I feel, we need to be as passionate about saying black lives matter to those who are hurting, right? As we say, but there's a worldview collision going on here and I can't support the movement for those reasons. There needs to be, if you can, if you can think about it, equal passion there from the church. That really matters. So it, it's an issue that we should spend more time. We don't have the time. Let me just get one more question real quick. There was an important question from a lot of students about what do we do? What do we do when we see our friends or classmates um, make racial comments, jokes, statements that are prejudiced, um, whether they're, they're in meant to harm or not, what should we do? And I know, Clifton, you struck me when you told me the other day, and I'm going to just say it real quick and then hand it over to you, that, that you've been at church, this is adults now, at church where, where you've walked up to people, white friends of yours, and, say, and they've made a joke, like, hey, here comes Mr. Ross, everybody grab your wallets, which um, it's hard for me to believe that, but it happens, right? Adults at church. Um, how would you advise us, especially these teenagers, to deal with that when that happens? Because I'm sure all of you, if I asked you, you could raise your hand and say, I've been around uh, a person, a group that's made um, comments, jokes that were insensitive to a race. It doesn't have to be black people. It could be any race. Yeah. What would you You know, I think this is something that we could, we, we, we potentially have all done at one time or another. Uh, I remember when I was in um, fourth grade, 
um, I lived over in Alton, Illinois, Southern Illinois, and there's some kids from Cambodia. And here I am, 45 years old, and I still think about this. And they got, they, now they were different. And so we called them Cambodios. Oh, we thought it was funny. Hey, here comes Cambodio, here comes Cambodio. And you know, what are they going to do? They're little, they were little, they couldn't you know, fight us. You know, they just kind of, ah. And I, when I think back even now, I go, Clifton, oh, man, why did you do that? I was, a, I, was a, I was in fourth grade. I was, what, 10? But I know that I caused hurt. I know I caused hurt because I've had it be said about me and in my face. And like, ha-ha, right, ha-ha. And what are you supposed to do? Go, no, you know, I've I, I got an employee of mine, and he has a friend from Zambia, an African guy that he played golf with. And he says, I call him Little Monkey. And he says, you do what? He was telling me this. He goes, I call him Little Monkey. You know, he gets it. And I go, how do you know he gets it? Well, he's kind of laughing too. What are you supposed to do, cry with the other five guys at the golf course? Dude, seriously, come on, man. You can't do that. Oh. See, we, we, we can all potentially do that, right? And so, but what that does is it, it creates that atmosphere where Maria feels bad for her hair being up. And Miles feels like, Blacks are criminals. Could it be because my friends at church said, guard your wallet? Because even my dad, they guard their, you know, they're telling dad, you know, guard your wallet. So it just creates this atmosphere. And so it's just something that we as, as, as good people wanting to be part of the solution and not inherit this crazy world that you've got right now to, for, for the change, eliminate it. Eliminate it. Eliminate it from your Snapchats, from your Instagrams. Because it just isn't, it's hurtful. And who's been hurt before? I love the invincible ones in here. Good. I want to read your book. <laughs> so we know hurt. I don't know that hurt. I don't know that hurt, but I know hurt. So once we, because we know hurt, you don't want to play any role in recklessly hurting. You know, I'll say this. Uh, some of you have heard Miles. And he got on Twitter, or well, not Twitter, but what was it, Snap? And, and he said some things that we talked as a family, and, and I encouraged Miles to apologize uh, for what he was saying about exposing racist, racism and racist at this school. And I said, Miles, well, okay, I, I, I know the feeling. We've been talking for three years. I know where the feeling's coming from. I go, dude, but not the right. And he agreed, and I asked him to apologize. And I think he did. Did he? Yep. And, I, and I commended him for his courage for doing that. But can I offer you something? It came from a place, though. Wrong ex method of expression, but it came from a place. And so I commend him for his courage to get up here following his father's advice and, and guidance. And Mr. Becker. Uh, and say, wrong way to go, sorry. But you know what I think? Some courage from us as his community to say, if I did, if I caused that pain, Miles, I'm sorry. If I did it intentionally, because I thought it was funny, I'm sorry. If I did it accidentally, I'm sorry. So courage the other way, I think is good. And that's healing. Jeff said sorry about monkey boy. I forgive him, good, it's not, he's not a racist, he's my employee, he knows I can fire him. I forgive you, Jeff. Mike Reese on, hey, Clifton, man, I'm sorry. So there's nothing wrong with it. Miles, Miles says, hey, class, I'm sorry. But then class says, what? Miles, sorry. Courage. 
And that's reconciliation. And going out into the world like that, those, that's being equipped. Because you're going to stumble, you're going to fall, you're going to say things wrong. You are, you are. I did. I did today probably. I'll get an email, I'm sure. And you know what? Uh, sorry. Didn't mean it. Not my heart. I'm trying to be part of the, the, the solution. And you get to do that too. Sometimes whites, I hear whites say, I'm scared to say anything because if I say anything, I'm going to say it wrong. And they're going to say, if you don't say anything, then you're racist. If you do say something, then you're racist. You say, what do I do? Have the right heart. Lead with empathy and keep on talking. Keep on talking. Because your heart's right, it's going to come out. And then the correction is going to happen. Not condemnation. Correction. And that's good. We're getting better. And that's okay. I'll leave you with this. Um, and then you're off the D groups quickly. Um, we need to... And this would go for bullying. This goes for a lot of places. But we need to begin to be more courageous when we hear these comments. It's not like you're going to war, people. It's you and me standing up to a friend and saying, you know what? I know you think that's funny. It's not, and here's why. Or you see a Snapchat from a friend and you, you pull them aside. You don't have to do it publicly. Probably not do it publicly and say, don't do that anymore. Because people are seeing that and they're hurt. And guys, I've seen, I've seen Snapchats from students in this building that said some things that I'm just shocked. And I'm like, if I was a black person and I saw that from one of my classmates, I couldn't help but think that person must be racist. It grieves me that that would happen here. But we're all, we're all sinners, we make mistakes, okay? And that reconciliation piece is, is what we're going after here. But, but start, to, start to take those courageous steps. It's not the responsibility of the minority students in our school to call out racial prejudice and bad jokes and stuff. It's not the responsibility of the students who are potentially being bullied to be the ones to stand up to that stuff. That's our responsibility as a community. I think you guys know what I mean. Thank you for your attendance. Let's give Mr. Ross a hand. Thank you for listening in on our Encounter podcast. You can find previous Encounter recordings and who will be coming in future weeks on our Southwest Christian High School webpage, www.swchs.org. Click on Student Life and Encounter. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, keep your eyes fixed, not on speakers, teachers, or institutions, but on Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith.